0: It's Friday, November 22nd, 2019, and from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson. This is Pennsylvania Legacies. When communities make decisions about creating public infrastructure and amenities, there are, of course, many angles to consider, many questions to ask. Inevitably, a lot of these questions are abstract, subjective, or aesthetic in nature. What should our town or our neighborhood look like and feel like? How does our built environment reflect our history, or maybe our regional identity? What are our values as a community? How do those find expression in our civic life? Ultimately, how do we want to spend our time? What's our idea of fun? These are all important things for any community to consider when it's making decisions about how to spend its money. But of course, when it's time to write that check, for better or worse, these decisions usually come down to much more concrete, practical, and somewhat less romantic considerations. Namely, how much money are we going to spend? What are we going to spend it on? And at the end of the day, how do we make sure we're getting the best bang for our buck? Well, the fascinating thing about trail projects, unlike many such expenditures, is that while they obviously provide satisfying answers to that first set of questions, those lofty questions about values, they also address the second set of nuts and bolts financial questions in ways that are substantive and even compelling at times. As it turns out, investing in trails pays off in ways that actually go far beyond simply prettier neighborhoods and happier neighbors. You don't have to take my word for that. You can see the evidence for yourself easily by checking out any number of studies and reports that link trail development with direct economic activity, as well as public health, transportation, safety and efficiency, environmental impacts and countless other readily quantifiable metrics. Today we're going to dive into one such analysis focusing on a set of projects that's near and dear to our hearts here at Peck. That would be the East Coast Greenway, which we support by way of our involvement in Philadelphia's Circuit Trails Coalition. Now, the Greenway itself, as we'll hear, covers a vast expanse of the eastern seaboard. But the research we're exploring on this episode is confined to one particular area along the route through New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware, where we do a lot of work, obviously. Daniel Paschal is one of our partners in that work. He's Mid-Atlantic Coordinator for the East Coast Greenway Alliance and joins us now to talk about the report the Alliance put out earlier this year titled Investing in Our Future, Quantifying the Impact of Completing the East Coast Greenway in the Delaware River Watershed. Daniel, welcome to Pennsylvania Legacies. Glad to have you here. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Before we get into what's in this report, uh, can you just sort of lay out what is the East Coast Greenway, what is its current status, and what will it look like when all the work is complete?
1: So the East Coast Greenway is a long-distance trail project that's currently in progress. It's a trail project that includes uh, biking and walking from Calais, Maine through all the major cities along the East Coast, 3,000 miles down to Key West, Florida. So it's a very ambitious, very long-distance trail project, but very local at its core. Much of the work is done at the local level, connecting existing trails in the cities and towns up and down the East Coast together to form the, the full East Coast Greenway. The East Coast Greenway is about a third of the way there, so about a 1,000 miles our trail currently. So we're working on those 2,000 miles of gaps, and those exist in little pieces and parts, and some are in progress right now. So we have some trails that are under construction currently, uh, ones that are in planning that might be a year or two out, and then others that... Might be some years, hopefully not decades, but definitely long-term projects that are a little bit tougher to crack. Once we finish the entire uh, East Coast Greenway, you will have a traffic-separated biking and walking path from Maine to Florida 3,000 miles.
0: So clearly a big, ambitious vision. And at the same time, as you said, really, it it all happens on the ground, happens very locally. So as we move into talking about what's in the study, my first question has to do with how the sort of impact zone is defined. Why focus on the Delaware watershed in particular, as opposed to any other sort of geographical designation you might have gone with? What's special about the watershed?
1: That's a great question. The Delaware River watershed I mean, it's crucial to life in in the region. If you're defining an area that takes in the water that, when it falls from the sky, it all comes into the Delaware. Uh, that automatically kind of ties this region together as one that needs to be protected holistically. Needs to be thought of as sort of one entity together. Because if you're protecting the water source for both people, animals, fauna, and flora, mm-hmm. <laughs> the whole ecosystem relies on this watershed. A big part of the trail system is that it provides access to not only you know the drinking water in terms of conserving area along the watershed where trails can go, but it also provides sort of a platform for building stewardship and raising awareness that the watershed is you know an entity in the first place, what it is, and why it's important to make sure that it is protected and that future development is conserved to areas where you know you're not harming the existing watershed and, and the ecosystem around that. I should also mention, though, that, you know, a large part of the work that's done in this region um, for trails and greenways, as well as the environmental uh, side of this, is is funded by the William Penn Foundation, which is focused on protecting the Delaware River watershed. So, it's really in tandem with funding from William Penn, but also from other local, state, federal sources that this work is done. And, you know, the watershed is a really good way to, to focus it in on something that, already requires uh, coordination across different jurisdictions
0: I hope we'll be able to explore a little bit further the the link between trails and recreation and environmental benefits and so on but th- th- that's actually just one pair of linkages within this larger nexus of issues that the report identifies I kind of want to before we synthesize it all back together break it down a little bit first tell me about each of the categories within which the researchers establish their metrics. Um, what are the four areas that the report focuses on?
1: Sure. The breakdown really was to look at the different benefits of completing the East Coast Greenway. And you know, you can kind of extrapolate out that type of benefit into so many different ways. So this is not to say that these are the only ones. For sure we try to incorporate, you know, other benefits within each of these categories. So there's definitely overlap between them. Starting out and you know going from front to back of the report, we were looking at uh, really transportation and safety benefits first. So what trails provide in terms of a safe, accessible, and very affordable, you know, trails are, f- are free to use for the public, way to get around from point A to point B, whether that's going to work or if that's going to, you know, pick up the groceries, take kids to school, uh, any trips that need to be taken on in the region. The next category would be economic benefits. So looking at how This can really, you know, invest in people that are already living in these areas that might be disconnected from economic opportunities, bringing in, again, that safe, accessible transportation network can really provide access for folks to, you know, be able to bike to work and not have to afford a car. Uh, to take, you know, the long way around or get stuck in traffic for a while, fill up with gas, pay for insurance. You know, these are costs that you take on if you're in an area that is disconnected from walking and biking that complements transit uh, very nicely. Part of that also of the economic benefits looks at property values. So if you have a property that's near a trail, that property value will increase as well as bringing in tourism benefits of making this a place that's attractive for folks to come and visit, you know, on their way through the region or as a destination itself. The third category would be health benefits. This is hopefully intuitive that walking and biking is good for your health, and we've seen that on you know not just the personal level but also the public health scale. That uh, entire communities that might have health disparities by having this access to nature, um, access to safe recreation, as well as again putting that into your daily routine of travel, um, that you can over time become healthier. And then finally, the environmental benefits. So, looking at what does it mean to provide basically a conserved corridor of green space along, you know, a very industrial or post-industrial landscape. Looking at the habitat uh, benefits, you know, preserving that habitat, uh, allowing that to function, you know, as it once did. Maybe bringing that back, restoring the ecology there, as well as sequestering carbon. Obviously, climate change is incredibly important issue. So we try to yeah really focus on those four categories. But within all those, I should say that looking at the equitable goals of the region and the the dire needs of many of these communities, you know, this trail cuts through the richest and poorest census tracts of the whole region. So you're in areas that, you know, might not have a problem owning car, and then there's some that car is a, is a huge expense to keep up And then you also have disparities in each of those with health, with access to green space, with economic mobility. Those are ones that we're trying to identify within each of those categories.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because that is, I mean, that's clearly a theme that runs through this entire report. When you're talking about things like the economic development angle and property values in particular seem to be a double-edged sword in in that respect. So there's a lot of attention given to, you know, how do you ensure that these various positive desirable impacts actually benefit you know, not just in some abstract sense, the local economy or whatever, but the people that live in these neighborhoods. How do you make sure that they're involved in the process and, and committed to it and, and have buy-in? Can you provide a little bit more detail about the sort of the demographic profile of this, uh, the area that's under study, who actually lives there? It really stood out to me. This is not the the usual uh, sort of Lycra crowd that comes to mind when you're thinking of trails.
1: That's a, that's a really good point is that, you know, biking and walking – it's about everyone and it's especially about folks that rely on, rely on biking and walking for transportation and you know I think in popular culture we've had a tendency to, to see the sort of the lycra clad sort of road warriors as the face of a lot of the biking industry because that's who's sort of in the magazines and in races and you know that is a very different demographic um, than what's actually representative of this corridor. We have the the demographics of the corridor broken out in the the report itself. There's a very almost even split of age diversity. So you know, number of folks in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and over, and then lots of families, lots of youth, 14 and under, in their teenage years, into their 20s, as well as you know, middle aged areas. So this is all types of. People at different stages of their lives. Less than 50% is white. Almost a third are Black or African American. We have you know, a number of other categories that are represented: Asian, Hispanic or Latino, mixed race, and other race. That's over half is non-white. By income, you have unfortunately a very strong presence of low-income neighborhoods that are basically working to get out of uh, poverty. And Philadelphia itself, one in four residents are both below that poverty line. And along this corridor. Uh, you see a lot of that represented in southwest Philadelphia and parts of northeast Philly, but also in Delaware County along sort of the industrial highway corridor that we're working on, and then through Wilmington as well. It's well over half that are, are below 60000 as the household income, and that's within all within two and a half miles, which is sort of the biking radius distance to the Greenway. This is a corridor that has a lot of needs, and we're, we're trying to identify the benefits that can meet those needs. But like you said, that requires that they have to be at the table, the folks with the need (laughs) to be able to dictate that to planners because, you know, local residents have the expertise. That is a struggle that, you know, has existed for decades and centuries, and we still don't have all the answers. Right.
0: And keeping that in mind, what is the overall economic impact that we're talking about as detailed in the study? How much money are we talking about? How does it shake out across local economies?
1: This is in the billions of dollars scale. So we're looking at about $2.2 billion of one-time economic benefits. You know, that comes from the property value increases. That's really the jobs, too, that are created. These are both direct and indirect impacts. We have it broken down more in the study itself, um, and I should mention that eConsult and NV5; those are the two companies that basically worked on this report. And so, if there are you know further questions, we do have on each of those pages. How was this calculated? Because I know that can get into the nitty-gritty. But um, you know, we're looking at millions of dollars to build these projects, but billions of dollars basically in return. It's a huge payback, and we've seen that time and again with the ones that have already been completed, both in this region and on the rest of the greenway itself.
0: So you can see how these sort of quality of life things fit together in a really organic way, uh, improving neighborhoods, and baseline economic conditions, goes hand in hand with better transit, the ability for people to get around the area. What about the environmental health piece of it? Uh, that's sort of where we started. Can we bring it back to there and talk about in terms of tangible impacts on the health of the environment within the Delaware watershed? How does completing the East Coast Greenway serve that end?
1: Yeah, that's really at the core of this. I think you can intuitively see it even just from looking at past photos of what these areas looked like before investment went in for the Greenway and for, you know, Schuylkill River Trail down in Center City. If you look at past photos of what that looked like, you know, some 20, 30 years ago, not that long ago, that after sort of the industrial movement went through the area what's left over is pretty rough looking. So you can see both an environmental side and also a personal and public health side that transforming an area that might need remediation, that might need uh, to be looked at as a brownfield site, removing the pollutants from the area, and then in its place, putting in something that's public and accessible that can be worked into daily routines that you could walk through on your way to work that you're not going out of the way to find. You might just discover on your own from you know the, the quantification look at it, we we tried to look at some of those ecosystem services. Uh, so for the environmental side, breaking that out into flood mitigation, you know, taking on the excess water that's spilling off of parking lots or roadways, being able to mitigate against the flood damages is really important, as well as keeping pollutants from entering, again, the Delaware River watershed and the rivers and the waterways so that you don't have to spend more money on gray infrastructure to funnel that out or, you know, build a bigger capacity to clean that water at the end of its circulation. Also, preserving that wildlife habitat. So all of these have a number associated. I'm looking just basically straight from the report. Flood mitigation, that's over $8 million worth of benefit of of being able to protect this area from floods wildlife habitat preservation hundreds of thousands of dollars air pollution removal 1.6 million sequestering carbon over 15 million dollars we looked at this from the satellite scale and basically if you can define the buffers around the greenway and identify you know what are the threats to the ecosystem and to the waterways and then look at the basically the benefit of protecting that waterway from that threat Um, that's how these were calculated On the health side, really we tried to focus in on health costs as well as those health costs coming from the health issues that people face. Being more physically active can help fight diabetes, cardiovascular disease, some cancers, depression, you know, obesity. So these are all issues that are unfortunately skyrocketing in the nation, but also in, in the region, both on the Delaware and New Jersey side. You know, This is in the latter half of, of the states in terms of the physical fitness rankings. These are areas where people are not meeting their, their daily requirement of physical activity. So trying to create access for that allows people to work that, again, into their routine and you know, up that activity level without even having to buy a gym membership. If you're walking to work, you're meeting that benefit, even if you're just walking to the bus to get you to work or walking to the train. And then trying to quantify that using statistics that the Department of uh, Conservation and Natural Resources for Pennsylvania, they did a survey of folks and their outdoor recreation habits and how much they spent on uh, their health care costs per year. So looking at health care costs that uh, are really saved, that's money in your pocket, from being more active and then tying that to the usage of these trails that have been built. So thinking about the Schuylkill River Trail, but also the Markell Trail in Wilmington, the Port Richmond Trail in Philadelphia, those users every day, they're, you know, they may not think about it, but they're saving money on the health costs they're avoiding by being healthier and working that into their daily routine. So that came out to be about $140 per person. So that's a huge amount of savings just from doing your, your commute.
0: And again, I think it's important to keep in mind that what we refer to as the East Coast Greenway system network, whatever, consists of actually a lot of local trails and local trail systems that are already in place or exist in some form or are in progress. When you look at the work that's ahead of you in your organization, what is the benefit of – improving connectivity, I guess, among these extant pieces of what will be a huge sprawling uh, network of trails. Is it mostly about closing those gaps at this point, uh, knitting the pieces together into a larger whole?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, this whole East Coast Greenway, you know, it doesn't exist on its own. Isolated, it ties in each metropolitan area that we kind of route through has an entire network of trails. So in the greater Philadelphia area, that trails. Network is called the the Circuit Trails, and by joining together, you know, similarly to how East Coast Greenway is joining little trails or local trails together on into a long distance one, the Circuit Trails is joined together, neighborhood trails and other local trails um, as well as long distance ones like the Schuylkill River, the DNL, the Delaware and Lehigh Canal Trail, the Delaware and Raritan Canal Trail. You know, these are are ones that exist on their own but you know all the stakeholders at the local level realize that if they are connected together they will become relevant to more residents as well as more jurisdictions that they cross into and if you have a trail project that you know not only does your community support but maybe the next county and the next state support You know, that's a lot more weight you can put behind your application to get funding to get this thing actually built than if you were just building this as sort of a local recreation loop that only so many people are going to really have any connection to and might not know about otherwise. You know, all of these trails, we kind of consider them as the quilts. You know, the East Coast Greenway is nothing without them. Each patch is the local trail. So the Schuylkill River Trail, the portion of which from the Art Museum uh, down to Bartram's Mile, that's the piece of the East Coast Greenway, whereas, you know, the rest of the trail continues on out towards Reading. You know, we're really trying to create a system that makes people think holistically about not just their town, but what's next door. In the same way that you would think about SEPTA, the train system is meant to connect people to places, and it's not built out in one subway line way out on the south side of Philly, and then one Market Frankfurt line, northeast Philly. Like, they they're meant to connect to each other because they're part of that holistic system that's meant to satisfy everyday needs no matter where you are.
0: So maybe we skip to the bottom line now, since the focus of the report is what do we get for our money? Acknowledging that these projects can be very costly, but the report is making the case, I think pretty effectively, that it's it's well worth the investment. What is the sort of return on investment at the, at the end of all this?
1: Sure, yeah. We did another Study also before this uh, in the Raleigh-Durham area, where again a number of trails are already built out. and We found that every dollar invested in one-time trail construction generates about a dollar and seventy-two cents annually from the local business revenue, sales tax revenue, and then other benefits related to health and transportation. So that you're almost doubling your investment when you consider that on a larger scale, and think about the projects that we're already kind of going ahead without thinking twice about or you know needing advocates for rebuilding highway systems, you know, these are on the scales of multiple billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars up and down the region. And in a lot of those areas, you could argue that that detrimental uh, increasing emissions from car use, this creates more capacity for people to drive. So naturally, people are going to drive. Whereas, you know, if you look at a trail being built, which there is one along I-95 in Northeast Philly, that as a community amenity, as a sort of a community benefit. The i-95 project has identified that as something they could help build to help sort of mitigate against the disconnect that they create by putting a highway through an urban area and that's i mean testament to them for including trails and greenways and green spaces into a highway project that's not easy to do and i don't think it's done very often so i think there's a slow shift and a recognition that investment in auto-centric infrastructure is is really going in the, the opposite direction of where we need to go in terms of climate, but also in terms of social justice. Uh, these have separated communities for decades and we're trying to repair that harm, you know, heal what's been done by connecting uh, people to places again At a scale that's much more human, that's much more affordable, but also, you know, good for the environment and will increase economic productivity for businesses along those trails, as well as for people being able to get to their jobs much more easily and more efficiently, cost effectively. In the broad scheme of things, this is really the best thing to be investing in, where only a little bit can go a long way when you see that almost double your investment in returns each year again from just the one-time construction costs.
0: And to the extent that this is, you know, ultimately about trying to quantify these direct and in indirect sort of impacts and make a case based on that, it's sort of geared for a policy type discussion pitched at maybe policy decision makers. But at the end of the day, you know, I think what keeps coming across is that this is really about people. These are the various ways in which taking on these kinds of projects affects communities, affects people. We talked a little bit about this uh, with respect to the gentrification concern, including that and going beyond that even. What do you want people who live within the Delaware watershed, people who are stakeholders just by virtue of of their residence, to take away from this report? And what should they then do with that information? What should their involvement be going forward?
1: Hopefully, they, they read through it, identify how it relates to their community, how it might relate to areas that they, they currently feel disconnected from and think about what else is out there. Is it a distance that would be bikeable or would be, you know, walk friendly if there was a safe way to get there? And then if you're advocating for that that connection, you know, I want to get to school. You know, I want to be able to walk to school. I'm tired of driving, having to fight traffic, you know, pay for parking, pay for just keeping up my car. I want an actual accessible way to do that. Uh, A trail, you know, may be the way to do that, or it may be a trail to, again, a train stop or a bus stop. You know, we want it to be a full system that's fully integrated. You can use the studies to show the powers that be, you know, folks that are on local community boards, county commissions at the regional level, at the state level, that there are real... Facts and figures showing the return on investment, that this is not only going to create that access, but it will lift up communities. And again, outlining that this has to be done with the community at the table. That's easier said than done, of course. We have a number of partners that we're working with at the Circuit Trails Coalition at the regional level, trying to figure out where can we support those needs, you know, whether that's those are there certain health issues that are really at the forefront or affordable housing, you know, is, is an issue here. You know, maybe that's something that trail planners don't think about right at first, but if it's an area that is prone to gentrification, that needs to be on that agenda when you're talking about trails. You need to have someone in there who can bring in that expertise. How do we get land to be owned by the community, you know, create that uh, ownership before the trail goes in, before projects start happening so that you can preserve affordability so that when that access finally does get built, they're not picked out and they're not able to use it, Like that would be the worst, <laughs> the worst outcome for this. So inclusionary trail planning is something that Pennsylvania Environmental Council has looked at directly. Uh, there was actually one of these podcasts earlier in which I think you talked to Julia Raskin, who's also with New Jersey Conservation Foundation, doing that work for PEC to identify where has this work been done? Um, shown signs of success, shown a more deliberate approach partners that have taken that on not just in Philly but you know in Delaware and DC and other parts of the country because this is this is a problem everywhere as people get priced out of increasingly more expensive metro areas you need to combat that by providing amenities that are affordable. trails themselves are free <laughs> to use they should be free and they should never you know you should never charge anyone they're not told. You know, because this is a benefit and that's a way to combat transportation costs among all the many other costs that we show you know, this is combating and the benefits that it brings.
0: Very well said and I think a great place to wrap up this conversation. Daniel Pascal from the East Coast Greenway, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's great.
0: If you'd like to read that report we've been talking about, see the link in the episode description. There you'll also find links to the inclusive trail building toolkit that Daniel mentioned, along with my conversation with its author, Julia Raskin, from last summer on the podcast. Again, links in the show notes and the episode description for this episode. As we discussed, Peck is closely involved in the effort to complete the East Coast Greenway through southeastern Pennsylvania. Here with a quick overview of that work and an update on its current status is Peck Trails Program Manager Lizzie Hesick out of our Philadelphia office.
2: So the East Coast Greenway is one of the major trunk lines in the Circuit Trails network. It is one of our priorities to finish by 2025 because of the way that it connects so many of the other trails uh, into this uh, hub of the network. So in Bucks County and the northern reaches of the Pennsylvania section of the East Coast Greenway, Peck has been involved in a lot of what's going on in uh, Morrisville, uh, Levittown area, uh, Bristol and Ben Salem. Uh, currently, right now, it, there's a couple of major gaps on the Delaware and Lehigh Canal Trail and uh, Morrisville. Uh, we've been working for several years to get those gaps filled so that sections of trail south and north of that can be connected. Uh, so there's a, The Bridge Street gap, for example, in Morrisville is one that's going to connect uh, Pennsylvania to the northern reaches of the Delaware and Lehigh Canal Trail and the East Coast Greenway moving into New Jersey. We just had a ribbon cutting on a trail renovation in Tullytown Borough, which is part of Levittown. So here the trail was already in existence, but it needed to get some updates so that it would be safer. We put in some safety signage, uh, redid the gravel on the trail so that people were more aware of of, uh, cyclists and pedestrians using it. Um, Further down, we're trying to build a trail in an area of really interesting wetlands in a way that would not hurt the wetlands and give people access to this really special natural area in between Ben Salem and Bristol Township. As we move into Philadelphia, uh, northeast Philadelphia is, um, again, much like these areas in Bucks County that we were talking about, a former and to a large extent current, industrial neighborhood. And we're seeing the East Coast Greenway follow the Delaware River in a way that can really tie residential communities back to the the riverfront that they've been cut off from because of industrial development over the past 100 years or so. These are really important connections from uh, where people are living to where people you know, will now be able to play, so to speak. One of the best parts of the East Coast Greenway in Philadelphia is when you pass in front of the active Dietz & Watsons meat processing plant. It's right next to the trail. And so as you are coming down this lovely wide trail with beautiful views of the Delaware River and the the birds are circling and the natural uh, native grasses are, you know, at your feet, you have this wafting odor of bacon all around you. And it is one of the loveliest parts of the trail, in my opinion. As we move south from northeast Philadelphia, we hook up with the area that is being developed by the Delaware River Waterfront Corporation. They are handling the development of the trail in the central Delaware. That the East Coast Greenway follows the Delaware River Trail till, you know, about the center of Philadelphia and then it zags westward along the Spring Garden Street Greenway. The uh, Spring Garden Street Greenway is a project that was conceptualized by PAC in 2012, and we have been working with the city of Philadelphia to move that forward from conception to reality. Spring Garden City Greenway puts you onto the Schuylkill River Trail, which is complete and under the management of the Schuylkill River Development Corporation. I should say it's complete down to the Schuylkill River Boardwalk and um, elements of the trail that lead to a swing bridge. In all trail development, you have these little pieces that get done little by little. So the Schuylkill River Trail hits a swing bridge that will be open next year, I believe, and that leads you into Bartram's Garden. Now we're in southwest Philadelphia. The trail in Bartram's Garden will. due to the 58th Street Greenway, which is a trail that uses the sidewalk and, and road network in southwest Philadelphia. It connects neighborhoods to Bartram's Garden and also to the Heinz Refuge, which is an amazing wildlife refuge right in Philadelphia. Um, so the 58th Street Greenway is a project that Peck is really proud of uh, because of the amount of community input that went into creating this amenity. And then moving into the Heinz Refuge which is just a totally different environmental experience compared to everything that we've seen on the East Coast Greenway so far in this narrative. You, know, you can see wild turkeys and wild boars and incredible bird life. It's a a wonderful and sort of hidden gem along the East Coast Greenway. So after you leave Philadelphia, you move past um, our airport area. Delaware County is a area where you get really close to the river in, in some areas. Peck is working with Delaware County to figure out the best way to move from Tinicum Township, where there is already a very beautiful trail um, in place, to uh, Chester City. In Chester City, PEC has been working closely with the city staff. We helped them complete a comprehensive parks and greenways plan that was adopted in 2018, and we're currently working on accomplishing some of the projects that were uh, recommended in that plan. In Chester You have public access to the Delaware River. You have a really beautiful trail that takes you right up to the banks of the river. It's a really peaceful and relaxing experience. And then when you come off the river walk, you end up going farther south into Trainer and Marcus Hook, where a series of bike lanes takes you down a very stereotypical and quaint American downtown and leads you into Delaware. So we are actively involved in trying to get this trail in place to make all of these areas safer, more interesting for local people to connect to their natural resources and for people coming from right, Key West and Maine to meet up in Chester, Pennsylvania and see how beautiful this
0: area is. Lizzie Hessek, part of PEC's trails team based in Philadelphia, working with the Circuit Trails Coalition and the East Coast Greenway Alliance, among other great partners, to create a fully trail-connected city and surrounding region. You can learn more about those efforts and others in the outdoor recreation space, both in greater Philly and across the Commonwealth, on our website at peckpa.org. You can connect with us at facebook.com slash Pennsylvania Environmental Council or follow us on Twitter at P-E-C-P-A. Don't forget to rate and review Pennsylvania Legacies on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, whether that's Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play. We're in all of those places as well as pretty much any mobile podcast app out there by way of our RSS feed. Uh, however you tune into the show, we appreciate your help growing the audience and helping to get the word out. I'm Josh Rollerson. I'll be back with another episode in December. Until then, have a great Thanksgiving, and as always, thanks for listening.